0: This is uh, Steve Stern. I'm from Sten's Biofeedback Neurofeedback Equipment, and you're listening to the NeuroNoodle Network podcast.
1: Thank you all for joining NeuroNoodle's Neuropsychology and Neurofeedback podcast featuring our neuropsychologist, Dr. Laura Jansons and Dr. Skip Wren. They've been practicing for over 50 years and like to share their knowledge with you. You can find Dr. Laura at Jansons.com, that's J-A-N-S-O-N-S.com, and Dr. Skip can be found at DrSkip, H-R-I-N.com. My name is Pete, and today we're going to chat with Steve Stern from Stens Corporation. Say that three times fast. We all get our EEG neurofeedback equipment from Steve, and we're going to learn his story. Let's hear from Steven Stern. Steve, thanks for coming on.
0: My pleasure. Nice, nice morning here in California.
1: Oh yeah, rub it in. Fifty degrees. I'm sure you guys are got your down uh, goose uh, jackets on.
0: We do, we do. Fifty for us is is cold. For you, it's summer.
1: Yeah, we're going to get a little minus ten below, something like that. we we'll be oh. dripping our faucets, which I'm sure you never heard of.
0: You no, know, but you know, I have one instructor, John Anderson, who lives in Minnesota minneapolis and told me a story of waking up in the middle of the night at three o'clock and his pipes outside were frozen so he went outside to knock the ice off and it was 30 below uh and he went out in his pajamas so you have (laughs) a hearty bunch out there where wusses out here in california
1: yeah we don't wear our pajamas uh john we we wear our shorts outside in chicago Tell us a little bit about your background and the company uh, you have there. I mean, for the people that don't know, this episode will probably speak to the practitioners out there. Steve Mm -hmm. has a fine line of equipment that we've been purchasing for a long time. And we'll try not to get too cheesy on uh, on pushing the the equipment, but it is some pretty good stuff. Steve, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and the company.
0: Well, I, uh, I was going to graduate school in Washington DC at American University. The Vietnam War was going on. Um, I decided to travel for a year after I turned 26 and was no longer eligible for the military. While I was traveling, I met a man who told me about biofeedback. He says, it's phenomenal, the things that you can do. Uh, you can learn how to control your brain waves. I said, wow, that's that's incredible. How much does this cost? He says, well, it's about $100,000 for for equipment. So my my interest uh, went downhill. Um, But then when I got back to uh, the United States, I decided I was going to move from the East Coast to California, where my closest friend, uh, Richie, was a lawyer for this startup biofeedback company called Autogenic Systems in, of all places, Berkeley, California. So I thought, wow, Berkeley, California, I was sort of a, I'd say an entrepreneurial hippie at the time, occasionally go to protests and, but I always wanted to make, you know, have a business. um, And I thought this would be a great start. I arrived at Richie's house. The next day I went for an interview at this small company, Autogenic Systems, which was probably the third company in the US uh, to do manufacturing. I walked in for a job and there were seven or eight young, long-haired people in the back putting together circuit boards, pouring, not cement, but filling filling the circuit boards with uh, epoxy. And the reason they were doing that is they were afraid that other companies would uh, try to imitate their circuitry. The problem that we had as a company is the accountant that we had was the one who was sort of helping us with the pricing of the systems. There were three different systems. Um, and any time a system came back for repair, you couldn't get rid of the epoxy. You'd have to throw the whole circuit board out. So each circuit board was costing us a few hundred dollars to replace. And that included all the time and effort that people had to put into, into developing and, and building up the circuit board. So that was sort of my intro uh, to the biofeedback world. People talk about neurofeedback, which is also called EEG biofeedback. And in those days, it was just referred to as biofeedback. And the first instrument that was made was an EEG system. But again, it was just called biofeedback. And in those days, when you made a system, it was an analog system, in other words, look like a stereo, actually autogenics that that made these devices, uh, put them in wooden boxes that look like stereo equipment. So just picture meters on the front of a, a device, one that's measuring your frequency, another one that's measuring your amplitude, and another one that is measuring the percent of time that you spent in a specific frequency. So there's all these knobs on the instrument. If a year later you decided, oh, I'm sorry, I put that knob in, I'd rather have a different knob. You'd have to redesign the entire system. So it was a pretty, pretty lengthy process. You obviously couldn't just put in another knob and change your whole circuitry. It required a lot of work. And now, you know, we have equipment uh, that's computerized. So the, the major changes you need, not so much in the hardware is really in the software. So I. you so got,
1: you got started, so you got st- you got started in, in the business in what year, Steve, early seventies, oh what year?
0: 1972 September, it was September 9th was my first day. And I had driven from New York with two other guys out to Berkeley, California, uh, about two days before that, I remember stopping at a gas station and the attendant came out and he said, good morning, sir, how can I help you? And being from New York, I thought, is this, is this guy trying to rip me off? What is this, is, this is weird. Uh, so that was my first experience in, in Berkeley and my friend Richie lived in Berkeley with his girlfriend. So I stayed in Berkeley for my first two months uh, out in California.
1: So what was the first product that you you sold? Well, it was
0: an Autogen 70. Again, it was an EEG system. Autogenic systems put out three different EEG systems. One was called the Autogen 40. The next one, which was a larger system, was the Autogen 70. And the top of the line was the Autogen 120. The Origin 70 and Audigen 120 really looked like stereos because they were all in wooden boxes. The smaller instrument, the Audigen 40, was in a metal box um, or plastic box, s- similar to a lot of the devices that you see on the market now.
1: Did, did you sell the printer with it? I'm just envisioning the pens and the squiggly lines going up and down. How, what did it all look like?
0: Well, again, you know, this is pre-computers. Yeah. so. There were only analog meters, like a, a weight scale. So you would see just a dial going up and going down. It wasn't hooked up to anything. It didn't have any pens. Uh, it had audio, which you could turn on or off or turn up. Uh, three different prices. They originally sold the Audigens uh, 70, which actually was called the BioTray, Biotron. The Biotron 40, the Biotron 70 and the Biotron 120, then they changed the name to AutogenX. But the the Autogen 40 cost, a, we were selling it for $125. The Autogen 70 was something like $425 and the Autogen 120 was $695. We found out later Uh, that all the prices were way too low. We were selling them for below the cost that it cost us to build the devices. So essentially, we were putting ourselves out of business. Uh, Not the best accountant. So uh, the prices quadrupled uh, not too long after that. And the company was one of the largest, probably the largest in the industry it had. Uh, at its peak, over 100 employees. When you look at some other companies, they now have maybe 20 people, 25 people, uh, maybe 50 if you include all of the engineers and programmers. So computers have made things, I think, a lot a lot more uh, user-friendly and easier to design and build.
1: When did stunts come into play? I had worked for
0: Autogenic Systems from around 1972 to 1979. I think I incorporated as Stens Corporation in 1976, but I didn't actually start. That was just for tax reasons. Uh, I started the right. company around 1979 or 1980. The way I got the name was sort of interesting. I went in to see my accountant, this was around 1976. And he said, well, I think for financial reasons, you should incorporate. I said, but I don't have a company. He says, it doesn't matter. It's just for paperwork and for tax reasons. Uh, He said, what do you want to call it? I said, well, I haven't really thought about it. Um, He said, no problem. Just go out in the waiting room and let me know in 10 minutes, because we have to get the paperwork started. So I thought, Long and hard, I went back in. I said, how about Biofeedback National? Uh, No, you don't want that. You don't want the word biofeedback because you may end up growing the company. So keep that out. So I went back out in the waiting room. I thought, let's see, I I used to teach in the Washington, D.C. school system, um, which was not not the best uh, public education, unfortunately. And my students used to call me Mr. Stearns. They put an S on the end of my name. I thought, how about Stens? There's equipment out there called Tens. I could just call it Stens Corporation. So that's that's how the name came into being. And then around 1980 is when I actually started my own company uh, because at that time autogenic systems was being sold to a company called Stolting in Illinois. I believe they're, they're still
1: around, new ownership. How many times have you been called Steve Stenz? I know I've done it at least a dozen times. <laughs>
0: uh, th- that's one of the better names people have been uh, giving.
2: <laughs> so. Better yet, how many times by people on this podcast have you been called Steve Stenz, right? Well, it's just a few.
0: <laughs> but, you know, I had great experience at autogenic systems. I was there international sales manager and then vice president. And at one point, um, we had hired a new president because the president we had, Victor shear uh, decided that he was going to start a different company. He didn't think Biofeedback was going to be making millions and millions of dollars a year. So he started over and over, two or three different computer companies. This is once computers came out. Uh, all of them went went belly up until he finally uh, started a software company in California. And it was just making software and Microsoft uh, had stolen the software. So he sued Microsoft and ended up uh, winning two hundred and forty five million dollars. So I'd say probably the most successful uh, person that's ever been involved in biofeedback. Yeah! Wow.
1: Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Dr. Laura, how did you uh, hear about uh, Steve? I heard about stuns through you. I went through the training courses, but mm-hmm. how, did, how did you uh, figure out to go with Steve?
3: I remember biofeedback from Lori Russell, who we, we've talked about a lot, uh, the professor at the Bradley University who uh, trained me back in the eighties. And I actually went to the biofeedback training well, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I have a similar story to Steve's. I, I went for a week to the biofeedback training and again, separate, di- different thing uh, than neurofeedback as we know it right now. So back back then when it was a one-week biofeedback training, I think they still do it, but it's breathing techniques and muscle relaxation and skin temperature and, and uh, galvanic sweat response. Uh, So that was back then. I I went through the entire week. It was a great class. Uh, It it was at a great facility, like a golf club, a beautiful facility. They had uh, the conference there. So at the end of the week, I went to the instructor. I said, this is all great stuff. I love it. You know, uh, hook me up. What do I need to purchase in order to get going as a biofeedback clinician? And the price tag at that time, I remember it was $5,000. And at that time, you might as well have said it was $5 million because I didn't have it. And I said, oh, well, thanks. This is a great class. I, I don't, you know. And, and so the guy uh, running it, and I wish I, I know his name. I, I, I could look it up maybe. But he said, well, if you don't have $5,000, why don't you go out and buy a thermometer? And this was back before, you know, um, the smartphones and all the computerized things we have now, he said, go out and buy a thermometer and practice that way. And as you build your practice, then one day you'll afford the, the big stuff. And so again, that was whatever, uh, probably 15 years ago, I'm going to guess. And so, so here we are now in neurofeedback. So I learned about STEMs back then, and then, uh, I got wrapped up with Skip here and, and he, uh, and, and tongue-in-cheek, uh, you know, kind of wrote me into the neurofeedback stuff, and and, and here we are, NeuroNoodle.
1: And then you went to uh, a training, because, you know, for the practitioners that, or the w- wannabe practitioners, Stens has a great training program. Sometimes it can be like getting a little sip of water from a fire hydrant, but... I mean, it's a powerful five-day course. When, when did you go through that STEMS course, feedback? Oh,
3: yeah, yeah. So, I, I again, I, I went to the biofeedback course through Stens 15 years ago. And then we went, uh, I think Skip went first, actually. Or I, I forgot the, the who went where. But we, we did it in different locations, probably in the same year or two. And that was, um, boy, three or four years ago.
2: I went in 2017 in November.
3: Yeah, yeah so I probably went right after that in February.
2: Yeah, I have all the dates here in my system.
0: Skip went in November 2017 in New Jersey. That was for EEG. And then, uh, Laura, you went, believe it or not, for our biofeedback course in 2001 in April. We're in Illinois. And then in uh, February of 2018, you did our
3: five-day EEG course. So, so Steve, let me tell you the difference between 2020. So, when I did the biofeedback in Chicago, it was uh, at a luxury golf course uh, venue, and uh-huh. then, and then in Atlanta, we landed uh, the day before the class, and I went out to have a bite to eat at a local restaurant. This is way before COVID, and uh, I, I witnessed my first shooting oh. in Atlanta. <laughs> So even from Chicago, I've, been, I've never directly seen a, a, a shooting until I got to Atlanta. So that, so it was an so interesting um, contrast in, in where the, the locations are these days.
0: Oh, boy. Did you end <laughs> up jumping back on the plane and going to Illinois a little bit? I,
3: no, actually, I was intrigued. Uh, I, I think we, uh, who I was with, we just kind of went to the fence and looked over and was kind of curious what was going on, whereas, whereas all the uh, locals kind of ran into the restaurant, so... So being from Chicago, we were, we were intrigued. So that, that was
1: actually a positive comment. Like I said at the beginning, we weren't going to be too cheesy in trying to help sell your product, Steve. Okay. <laughs> so so the trainings, if you go through the Stens training, then you're going to run into one of the people that should be on the Mount Rushmore of neurofeedback, uh, John Anderson. Steve, can you tell us a little bit how you met John and... Uh, your relationship with him when he started and so forth? Well,
0: John was our uh, maybe our third neurofeedback instructor. I had uh, a a guy in Los Angeles who taught just one one time for us, was not very good. I had Barry Sturman as an instructor. I had a a lot of the top people that you read about in, in the industry and none of them quite did the job. I was used to having... Uh, one great instructor for our biofeedback course named Tony Hughes, who to this day is still teaching our course. This is about 45 years ago when we did our first course, even though Tony will swear he's only 50 years old. He was, he was in diapers when he started teaching for us. Uh, and I had asked him because I had him traveling you know, nationally. We would do our workshops in 10 different locations. And I asked Tony, Tony, do you have any suggestions? Who do you think would be a great instructor? And he said, well, there's two people. One is in Dallas and the other one is in Minnesota. So I called both people. The person in Dallas had a very bright, very pleasant, also didn't know computers very well. I spoke to John Anderson, And John said, well, you know, I'd be interested. His son is a computer uh, specialist. John is pretty much a computer specialist. He said, I'll I'll call you in a a day or two. He was hesitant to teach because John has uh, attention deficit disorder. And he did not think he was gonna be able to complete writing a, a huge manual for the course. He said, he'll give it a try. And from that point, uh, until he started teaching, he was doing EEG for over an hour every day. And he said he cured his ADD uh, problem using neurofeedback. Uh, John has been just an excellent instructor. He's, he's one of the brightest men I've met uh, in the EEG world. And John is, for the most part, semi-retired. Uh, he's a great guy, but extremely knowledgeable and extremely friendly.
1: Mary as well. She, she does more of the uh, upper level EEG. Am I, am I correct?
0: Yes. Yes. I I'd say I'm a very fortunate person um, because I've had such great instructors. I, I would give my instructors one or two chances once they started teaching for us, just to see what the evaluations were. We have, I, I won't mention his name. We had one guy from New York who now lives in Canada. Uh, and while I was on vacation, he was going to be teaching a course. And he called one of the people in my company. He said, look, I expect to have a uh, chauffeur pick me up at my home in New York. And I'd like a chauffeur on the other end uh, taking me to the hotel. I heard that and I said, mm, I, I don't think he's going to work out. Personalities that stand just, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, and as I said, my first instructor, Tony Hughes, who hopefully a lot of your listeners know Tony, Tony's just been excellent. He's, he's just gotten uh, incredible evaluations, um, you know, just a, a wonderful, low-key personality. Mary Tracy is our newest instructor, but she's been teaching for us now for probably seven or eight years. She teaches our QEEG course, teaches our neurofeedback course, Um, we used to, when we first started, it was just myself and Tony Hughes that were teaching the biofeedback course, which was really EEG biofeedback. And it was one day and then we increased that to three days. And at one point it was a nine day course. Uh, Then I started adding two additional, two or three additional days in a a sort of add-on course on EMG, muscle contraction, or skin temperature, and had other instructors. So at one point, we had something like 16 days in a row. All of these courses were in person. I remember the first time that we did that many courses back-to-back, I had three women. All of them were over 70 years old. And in those days, 70 years old, that was really old. I like to think of 75 now as young. So. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, I'm a little concerned you're going to go for 14 days. They said, no, we can, we can do it. And it was 14 or 16 days. It was three different, really three different courses, three different instructors. And at the end of the time period, they said this was great because we have a lot of hands-on work as well as didactic, you know, a lot of information, a lot of questions, a lot of uh, uh just a well-designed program. And they finished, they said it was great because you were able to go on the equipment. And then when you got tired of that, you were back listening to lectures and videos. So we've we've managed to do that for 40-something years. And in March, uh, we had three programs scheduled. It was a five-day biofeedback course, a five-day neurofeedback course, and a five-day QEG course. And one week before the courses were to start, we had something like 120 people registered, California locked down because of COVID. So immediately had all the instructors working on doing a full online course. And that's, that's what we're doing now. And it's just been going great. I, I was concerned, you know, that people wouldn't have the hands-on experience, but we've managed to, to work through that where people can do lab work, Uh, Assuming they have their their own equipment, Um, so COVID has given you know has changed our business quite a bit because getting ready for all of these workshops required a huge amount of labor. We're sending out a hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment with computers and biofeedback and neurofeedback systems, Uh, and we've also uh, when we started we had about three or four different systems that we were, we were using in the training program. And over the years, we changed the equipment. So we pretty much had every system in the industry in our programs at one point or another. And I'd have the instructors fly in the day before. We'd always start with our biofeedback course. Tony Hughes would fly in a day early and for five or six hours would set up all the equipment. And then, uh, then that was followed by the neurofeedback course, which was mostly John Anderson, and John would pack up all the equipment at the end of the, the course and ship it on to the next hotel. So Stens we we the number, the largest training program in the country. There are other training programs. I know we're we're rated number one just by looking at all the evaluations. Um, and
1: so so Steve, a differentiator of Stens is you have that great training program. The equipment, you know, there's a lot of equipment out there that can read energy off, of a, off the brain. What, uh, what, what differentiates your equipment from the other companies out there?
0: Well, before I, I ever started handling different devices, whenever a device came out, I would buy the device. I would send it to John Anderson. Uh, I'd have Tony Hughes use it. I'd send it off to two or three engineers. I'd have them open the box. Uh, I'm not an engineer, so um, I wanted this fully evaluated. And of all of the equipment, uh, I've just gotten the best evaluations, both in terms of technology, which most clinicians, unfortunately, are are not uh, very interested in. They just wanna see what pretty pictures, what the software looks like. Um, And I, I have found that over the years, this is the easiest software with with nexus systems so we decided uh this is about three years ago but four years ago when john anderson and mary and tony said you know every time we do a workshop we set up three or four different systems we have people training on the different systems and by day two everybody is back on the nexus equipment so you know, the other equipment just sits there. It's expensive shipping it. Why don't we just use Nexus? Uh, they had to convince me because I wanted to give people a choice of, of what system they might be getting. Uh, but we, we found that some of the equipment, other equipment is good. Some of it picked up a lot of noise. So when you're in hotels, you have telephone wires in the wall, you have lighting and a lot of that artifact uh, you could really see these instruments, the, the needles, the screen display, everything would go haywire except for the Nexus. So um, I decided that, you know, it'll make life easier on the instructors because they, were, they would do labs, written labs and written tutorials on all of the different equipment. It was not not easy. It took them months and months to develop this. So we decided just to, to go with using the Nexus equipment.
1: Doctor Steve, how did you uh, find Stens? Since you're the culprit, how would you get introduced?
2: So I just began looking around for
1: treatments outside of
2: uh, medicine, right? For you know a lot of the disorders and dysfunction that we see in our offices, and in a roundabout way, Pete, um, you know, stumbled on Stens, um, but st- uh, stumbled on the training before any of the equipment. And then also I went through the, you know, the five day John Anderson baptism by fire training, which that could easily be a a five month training, right? There's so much information and John, John does a great job with it, but it's a lot of info, uh, especially for somebody, you know, right out of the the gate uh, like myself. So um, I remember going to the training and then being really interested and excited about the possibility of helping folks quickly, right? With, with some of this uh, nerve feedback. And so got into, um, I think a a Nexus four, or was it a 10? And it's actually a four channel. I can't remember the numbers, Steve. Um, But then we upgraded to the 32. Pete and Laura already know this, but we don't run, you know, as much nerve feedback as you guys do in our practice. Ours is more of a, a smaller nerve feedback practice, but we use the the Nexus 32 to create the cues, the QEEGs to complement the neurofeedback, or I'm sorry, the neuropsych evals. So we're doing a lot of cues uh, with a little bit of neurofeedback. But anyway, we use the Nexus 32 uh, and find a lot of benefit out of that. I don't know if you think it'd be helpful, Pete, or not, but maybe some distinction between the the Nexus 10 and, and the 32. Yeah, yeah. So Steve, maybe you can uh, illuminate that for us, right? the different products you have? Well, there's, as far as
0: Nexus, there are three different levels. There's the Nexus 4, uh, you actually, Skip, got the Nexus 10 to start with, and then the 32. So the Nexus 4 has four inputs. You can, in the first two inputs, uh, those are considered fast physiological changing um, modalities. So it measures anything with an E in it, like electroencephalography, electromyography, electrocardiography, or even electrooculograph, where, which is measurement of eye movement. The other two channels in the Nexus 4 allow you to look at the slow changing functions like skin temperature, galvanic skin response, blood volume pulse, which is another way of measuring heart rate, uh, GSR, skin sweat. So, with the four channels, the first two channels actually, you can do, uh, you can get one sensor that will measure two different modalities, two fast modalities. It could be two channels of EEG, it could be one of EEG, the other one of EMG. It's just one cable with four uh, electrodes or sensors on the end of it. The Nexus 10 can do twice as many. So it could do four channels of EEG or uh, four channels of uh, the slower modalities, GSR, skin temperature. And then there was the Nexus 32, which has just been discontinued, Uh, wonderful system. I I haven't seen any other system uh, as good as the Nexus uh, 32. It was a 32 channel system Identical to the Nexus 10, so the picture: four rows of inputs. The bottom row of inputs is exactly like the Nexus 10. So you can do all of your biofeedback modalities. You can do neurofeedback, and the top three rows measure brain activity, brain uh, brain mapping. So it's I, I've, I've looked over Europe. I've looked everywhere to see if there's another system that could simultaneously measurable brain activity, as well as all of these other modalities. Uh, unfortunately, my Media decided that after 10 years, the technology uh, is old, so they are in the process. They've built a system called the, they're going to call it, I think, the Q32. Uh, they're redoing the software. It'll be new software. Um, Mary Tracy has been using it for a while. There are still changes and additions they want to make in the in the software so couldn't tell you much about it other than it's new technology which in this industry you know a lot of the companies are fairly small so they go with off-the-shelf hardware meaning off the shelf instead of doing uh, molds let's say to make a really different looking system they just take whatever boxes are available then they develop the circuitry uh, and rarely, again, there's two companies that have uh, equipment out there. The technology is a good 25 years old. They've never changed it because if they change it, that will uh, require that they change all of the software and all of their um, the hardware, including the sensors. Uh, the sensors also for most American, if not all, American manufacturers are plastic sensors. With Nexus, they just use this carbon-coated uh, aluminum um, sensors, which helps reduce the noise factor considerably. There's the three
2: levels of uh, Nexus equipment. When do you think the queue is going to be out, uh, Steve? Can you say that or say with? Well, I'm,
0: I'm hoping. You know, they have. You know, since since I don't do manufacturing. Uh, I'm not as familiar with what it really takes to develop uh, software and hardware. It took a good two years to develop the hardware. Uh, The software is uh, probably as difficult as developing the hardware. So they really don't want to put out the software until it's been fully tested. And we've had two or three people uh, testing it, and they have three or four people in Europe that are testing it. Um, they have a lot of programmers and engineers working on it, and it just takes a long time. It's frustrating because I was hoping it would be out in January. looks like now it may be as late as March, but ho- hopefully by March we'll have the new system. Okay,
1: but close, close. Fantastic. Steve, the, f- the, the future of the equipment, like right now, with the new practitioners or people don't know, you, w- you put a cap on, you have the sensors on the cap. You need to have kind of connectivity, mm-hmm. so you put a little saline gel in there uh, on the, through little holes in the cap, so you got a connection between the, the cap and the skull. You have wires going to a, an amplifier to amplify the signal. It goes to a laptop to show on the screen. You have equipment now where you don't need to put that gel in, right? And you don't have a separate uh, amplifier box. It's all one unit. Can you, can you tell us about that?
0: Well, there's one device that we sell. It's not a, a Nexus system. Yeah, uh, the amplifier is the headgear, so it's it's the sensors and everything are built in. Uh, people are, you know, excited about having dry electrodes because then you don't have to put gel in. So when we before we started handling this wearable sensing device, um, which we have on the website. Uh, I had bought one for John Anderson and had him testing it and one of my concerns was how long does it take to hook this up because even though you're putting it on the head and the electrodes are built into the amplifier, you have to position them correctly because if you have one that's not correctly hooked up, if, if it's open, it will produce noise in the system. But John said it takes about the same amount of time, even though they're dry electrodes, as it does to hook up many of the other caps on the market that require gel. Much more difficult to build a really good dry electrode system. I think with the wearable sensing device, uh, when we had it tested, I've, I've had two engineers looking at it. They said the noise level and the specifications on the wearable sensing are as good as the Nexus 32 was. So um, and as far as the, the gel, you know, I, I've heard some some people, the excuse was that, oh, women didn't like gel in their hair. Um, and that really has not seemed to be much of a problem. Clear gel, you can wipe it out, you know, when you're when you're done with the session. But uh, I think in Europe they're trying to develop some top-level uh, dry caps that go along with a separate amplifier so it doesn't all have to be built into the cap. Uh, that, that's probably where the industry is going for at least for QEG and, and uh,
1: neurofeedback. How, how far away do you think we are where I know cost is a factor, but if you can get the cost down and simple to use to be able to send a unit to somebody, I mean, you can send a unit to somebody's house now, but it's kind of difficult for them to do. How far away do you think we are where Here's a neuro noodle cap, send it to the house. You don't need a technician to, to put it on. You can do it yourself. How, how far away do you think we are, Steve?
0: Well, you can, you can do that now. Um, you know, the, the Nexus 4 unit that we have is still around $3,500 to $4,000, which is pretty expensive for home use, unless it's the clinician that has the system and just, you know, rents it out to the patient but then you can use TeamViewer uh, team viewer or Zoom. You can you know, be in touch with, uh, with your patient as they're training. Uh, I know that there's a lot of uh, inexpensive, I, I've learned not to use the word cheap, but they're really the cheap and inexpensive devices. Problem is it takes a certain amount of circuitry to make sure that the system measures correctly, that it's not measuring waves in the air or telephone lines. So I think it's gonna be a while before you see some really accurate, inexpensive EEG systems. There are skin temperature devices, there's heart rate monitors built into watches, very portable uh, equipment that you can get. And I will say, I know your your company is called NeuroNoodle and many people are focusing a lot on neurofeedback, doing EEG biofeedback. Uh, and a lot of people have forgotten about biofeedback. And I, I, my feeling is that since we know more about all of these other physiological modalities, I think it's much easier starting the patient off with things like heart rate, <clears throat> heart rate variability. And we'll, we'll be having an online course coming out. We just finished it uh, yet two days ago. Uh, we're just doing the editing on it. Uh, where you're attempting to have someone train so their breathing rate goes down to six breaths per minute and simultaneously the heart rate drops. That's a great, great home practice for people to first start with. So there are some, you know, reliable, inexpensive devices that you can have people either buy on their own or rent to them or just loan them a unit. Uh, But EEG, hopefully within the next year, you'll start seeing some less expensive EEG accurate systems out there.
1: Dr. Skip, Dr. Laura, I'm, I'm hogging all the time here, but you know, you got a couple of sales guys talking back, back and forth. It's almost as bad as two psychologists. What else do you want,
2: Laura, do you have anything? Cause I had a couple of questions. Um, just more about what you can get with the 32 practically, right? I know how I use it and I know there's a new product coming out. And, and if you want, Steve, if it's not a repeat for you, just maybe talk more about cue versus neurofeedback and what your products allow for that might distinguish them from others. If that's, again, not too much of a repeat, but the 32 is a big machine and it does a lot. If, if you're doing, you know, just neurofeedback, do you need a cue? The Q32, right? If you're doing cues, you know, do you, is it everything you need? It, hopefully I'm not asking 10 questions at once, but I think I am. You know, I'd say that for for people that are first starting out, that looking at two areas of the
0: brain or four areas of the brain is fine because there are assessment tools, even if you're doing just a a few channels of EEG. Uh, It takes a while to learn how to do neural feedback training versus doing brain mapping, also called quantitative EEG or QEEG. And with QEEG, you're looking at uh, 19 areas of the brain. You're assessing what it looks like, 19 areas of the brain, and you can compare it to a normative database called NeuroGuide. And there are other databases. There's one coming in from Asia that I believe uh, got the 510 k FDA approval. Uh, And there again, you're just looking at at the 19 areas of the brain. It would take a good year, two years, three years to really learn how to do a, a complete, accurate assessment. Uh, neurologists might be able to look at it, but usually neurologists are looking at it in terms of spikes and uh, you know dysfunction in the brain. Usually they're looking at 256 channels of the brain. They're looking for things like epileptic spikes, whereas in neurofeedback, what you're doing is as many fewer channels, it's just 19 areas. And the assessment is the important part. It's easy for somebody to do a brain map, to learn how to put a cap on, prepare the the head and do the recording. What most people do until they're really familiar with how to analyze the data, they send off the brain map to somebody like uh, Mary Tracy, who's been doing our QEG courses for a while and she does the assessment, and there are many other people in the country that do that mentoring. She'll do the analysis and then tell you how to proceed training that patient in neurofeedback. And when you start training the patient, you may only train them on one or two areas of the brain. Some people will train all 19 areas of the brain. But that's where you're using different software, the uh, Nexus 32 and the new Q32 will have its own software that'll be very easy for people to use. Uh, You can also use it with NeuroGuide and all of the NeuroGuide add-ons. So the thing with with, uh, QEEG and looking at 19 areas, if it's a good system, it's probably going to be expensive. That's not to say that some of the the less expensive systems on the marketplace costing $10,000 could adequately do the job but often to get really good circuitry that's um, expensive. So I think starting out, it's it's probably preferable for people just to get a four-channel system that seems to work just fine.
3: Hey, Steve, uh, can you explain to, um, well, I guess all of us, including the patients who might be listening or, or um, people who might be interested in neurofeedback, and they're, they're looking for um, in a reputable uh, place to have the service, Uh, What does it mean when you say FDA, um, when when the amplifier has an FDA approval? What does that mean?
0: Well, the the FDA, it's called a 510K, and all devices should have 510K. Uh, All of the companies are calling it just biofeedback. Uh, The truth is a lot of companies fly under the radar. Uh, some of the equipment is hooked into the wall rather than being battery operated. Uh, and there you have the, a lot of the potential problems. I, I haven't heard of anybody's brain getting fried, but certainly a lot, a lot safer when you're using batteries. The FDA now has gone into companies and let them know, look, you're measuring, maybe you're measuring brainwave activity, but you're also measuring heart rate. And you then have to pass an inspection, whether you're a million or two million dollar company or you're a Philips medical equipment, you know, in the billions, you have to pass certain tests. The amount of paperwork that companies have to do, the smaller companies out there, if they've gotten a 510K approval, uh, they probably, even those people, those companies may be flying under the radar because. Uh, I've seen what it takes to get a a full 510-K approval, and there is a lot of paperwork. You have to have engineers working on it, a lot of editing. Uh, You have to pass these tests. Otherwise, uh, these companies can can lose their license, which means you can't can't send it to patients anymore.
3: Right. So so just so I I get it in my head, so to have an FDA-qualified amplifier, uh, that means it's it's measuring what it's designed to measure. It's measured to to um, it's designed to measure brainwave activity, and it knows how to distinguish between that and electrical or other other noise. Uh, but it's not necessarily um, FDA doesn't mean that it's uh, able to diagnose things or say anything necessarily clinically about what's going on in, in these maps.
0: That's correct. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big process. You know, you can go to the government and, and just Google 510K and see what's involved. But again, a lot of companies, I think, that have a 510K have managed somehow to get around some of these requirements and still put equipment out. I'm not saying these, these systems aren't safe. They're all, they're all safe. I haven't seen any, any system causing anybody any, any problems, but it's a very lengthy process and could cost, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars just to get the 510k approval, because you are measuring physiological, you know, parameters, and when it's things like heart rate, uh, there's potential of doing misdiagnosis, so the FDA wants to make sure that the equipment is not only secure, uh, but they want to make sure that, let's say, a one of our customers calls in and says, "Uh, you know, my electrode is not working or, you know, your system is great, but I really don't like the gray color. I'd like it to be in blue. All of those questions have to be put down in a file. It has to be registered because if the FDA comes in, they want to know that you are in full compliance. It could be hundreds and hundreds of questions that they ask. So, Fortunately, you know we we have that compliance nexus which is made in Holland. My media has all of that compliance. Y- you would get a hernia carrying around the documentation that it took to get this five ten k.
1: Doctor Laura, Doctor Skip, what else we got? We're at we're at the end here.
2: I think I'm um, I'm good. I want to say thanks for you know Steve coming on, and I guess if this is appropriate, you guys let me know. But when we're talking about NeuroGuide, the software. Um, that's Bob Thatcher's company. And we talked to Bob, you know, uh, a month or two ago, right? So just to kind of close that loop for folks yeah. out there listening.
1: Oh. Yeah, we got them all. Steve, what's what's your uh, website? Thanks for the plug.
0: www.stens-biofeedback.com.
1: And if, yeah. if you Google us, we're usually the first. <clears throat> the first announcement on top. What, what are the specials you got in clearance these days? Well,
0: I'm selling this shirt. I'm sorry. You
1: can't see it. <laughs> uh, <it's>, uh, <laughs> That's right. We'll Photoshop it in there. Okay. Okay. Guys, uh, Dr. Laura can be found at Jansons.com J A N S O N S.com. Dr. Skip can be found at Dr. Skip, want to thank everybody for listening today if you got an idea for a topic please email me pete at neuronoodle.com please give us five stars on apple podcasts smash that like button on facebook instagram and twitter and again thanks for steve at stenz for coming on board we only screwed up his name twice today cue the music